0: When I left here, people said, oh, Harvard. (laughs) Now, people say, "Oi, Harvard? (laughs) It is very strange how much the world has changed, and very awful in so many ways. And we live in a time of real cognitive dissonance. Because assumptions that many of us had about the world are proved not to be true, and assumptions about the world have been validated sometimes in terrible ways. People we admire have done things that we don't admire, and people that we don't admire have done things that we do admire. And it's hard sometimes to fit it all together. Sometimes a politician we thought we liked will say something and we don't like them anymore. And then someone else that we never liked will say something and we'll say, oh, maybe not so bad. And that's why I started with Harvard is institutions also have distinguished themselves or not distinguished themselves in ways that we might not have expected or that we might have expected but not quite so much. Because I will say, when I was in college, in many ways I think I was probably pretty stupid, but I was never that stupid. (laughs) And it is pretty shocking. But I don't actually wanna spend my time telling you specifically about that, maybe another time, instead, I wanna focus on our head and our hearts and our balance. And let me start with our hearts. Every Jewish heart has been crushed by what has happened. And this is the first time that I've returned to Sinai where I have seen that beautiful and terrible display in the congregation for every hostage that has been taken, surrounded by a ribbon of blue with their name and age. And so it is very easy, given the gleeful brutality that we saw on October 7th, and the continuing anguish of those we know are taken captive and also of those who are mourning in Israel, people in their family who died or who were injured in terrible ways during that attack. It's very easy to say that has taken our entire reservoir of sympathy, and we have no heart left for anything else. But the first thing I want to remind us is that Jewish hearts aren't only for Jews. Jewish hearts are for people who suffer. There is a reason, after all, why Isaac says in this morning's portion, the voice is the voice of Jacob, but the hands are the hands of Esau. What he's saying basically is the voice is the voice of compassion and learning and suffering that I know is the voice of Jacob, but the hands feel like the violent and angry hands of Esau. but we're the children of Jacob. Which means when someone suffers anywhere, it matters to us. There's a reason why Elie Wiesel spoke about Bosnia and Cambodia and the Armenian genocide, because suffering anywhere should take a bit of our hearts. And there are people who are suffering in Gaza and we should feel for that suffering, especially for the children who have died and who have suffered. And I am not happy with anyone who voices an opinion that the suffering of children in Gaza is not our concern. Of course it's our concern. And that has to do with the health of our hearts. We are Rahmanim Bnei Rahmanim, compassionate people and the children of compassionate people. That's what the Talmud tells us, but your heart can't be the only organ with which you think. And we have to use our heads. And the truth is that as we know, although we want Israel to minimize casualties as much as possible, and to be as careful as possible, and to be as deliberate as possible, and all of those things, if you do not destroy all of the infrastructure of Hamas and the leaders of Hamas, then you are inviting another catastrophe, and not only for Israel, but also for the inhabitants of Gaza. And that's where we have to use our heads without sacrificing our hearts. And to say, yes, we are used to being the voice of Jacob, but there is a place for the hands of Esau in this world. And without the hands of Esau, we would not still be here. And that is a painful reality. And the inability to face it is the inability of some people to hold multiple truths in their mind at the same time. Which is to say, sometimes you are causing suffering because suffering must be caused in order to prevent greater suffering, as the Talmud puts it. Those who are kind to the cruel will end up being cruel to the kind. In other words, had we said, we're not going to do this, we're not going to go in. We're not going to hurt people. In the end, as we know, we just would have been cruel to the kind. And we would have invited more, as we have, obviously, by refraining from doing this in the year since 2005. And so we have this cognitive dissonance of it's hard to see the pictures of suffering, and yet we know that this is what must happen in a world in which singing songs and sending flowers does not end wars. But fighting the ideology that causes wars has a chance to end wars. It's very easy for people to forget the bombing of Dresden or the events at Hiroshima and Nagasaki, but guess what, they ended wars. And it is terrible to think how many people would have died had all those people not died. And that is the brutal calculus of fighting evil. Fighting evil requires some brutality or as the poet Yeats put it, too long a sacrifice makes a stone of the heart. And we have sacrificed for a long time, but I want to tell you that we refuse to let our hearts be stone, and we refuse to stop. And that contradiction is very hard and very painful. But even though I don't speak Yiddish, I learned Yiddish phrases when I was a little kid, and one of the very first Yiddish phrases I learned was Schwertsuzan Yid. It's hard to be a Jew. And it hasn't gotten any easier, has it? We had a little bit of a break for a while, but it is not easier. And that's why when I see these protests, There is a part of me that understands the protest, even though I know, even though I know that so many who are protesting are not protesting out of compassion, they're protesting out of hate. And so we are caught up in this maelstrom of different emotions and different expectations, and none of us know what is going to happen. The resurgence of anti-Semitism is as real and as powerful as it seems. And yet, at the same time, we know that it is also true that we are not in the situation of our precursors That we do have an Israel, and we do have a voice, and we do have power, and we live in America, where again and again and again, I want to remind you, since you don't see this covered in the newspaper, again and again and again, in surveys, many more Americans sympathize with Israel than with the opposition to Israel, and Jews are again and again and again the most admired religious group. And so the other contradiction that I want to appeal to you to keep in mind and to tell people, and especially to tell Jews, is this. We're really good at identifying our enemies. We need to be better at embracing our friends. We have friends. And we need to let them know that we care about them. When I see someone in the news who is influential, who makes a statement that is pro-Israel, if I can get their email address and write them and say, thank you, I do. Because I want them to know that we care and we listen and it matters to us. And don't go around saying everyone hates us because it's not true and it is self-defeating. And also, by the way, enough people hate us that you don't have to exaggerate. So, as you know, this is a civilizational battle. This isn't just about Israel. It's never just about Israel. Israel is the tip of the spear. Israel is the first place that gets attacked. But at some of those Palestinian protests, they're burning the American flag, too. It's not just about Israel. It is about so much that we hold dear and so much that we gave to the world. And so that's why it's not only about our heads and our hearts, it's also about our balance. We have to keep all these things in mind at the same time. And not say, for example, it only matters about this side of the political spectrum or that side of the political spectrum. No, it's our job to encourage both sides that support us in whatever way they do, and also to speak out against those who don't. To fight the ideology that exists, and it's not only on college campuses, but it is strong on college campuses, that Jews are identified with some kind of colonial, of settler, oppressive caste, When none of those terms apply to Jews, not none of the three, it's like what Voltaire said about the Holy Roman Emperor. It wasn't holy, it wasn't Roman, and it wasn't an empire. (laughs) We're not settlers, we're not colonial, and we're not a caste. But this is our fight. We didn't choose it, but we cannot lose it. Not only for the Jewish people. But I really believe for the health of the world. Just like you, when I see those protesters, I think, you know what they would do to you in Gaza? Do you know? Do you care? Do you know why you can stand here and say the things you can say because of the legacy that we gave you? That's why. So say it. I'm all for free speech. But really. I had a man the other day who gave me some hope at a synagogue I spoke at in in Boston and he got up at the end of the talk and he said in the 1960s I was with the SDS which those of you some of you probably know was the most radical of the most radical of the 60s students the SDS the underground the, the weathermen I mean, really, think like Berkeley on steroids radical. (laughs) He said, and now I look back at myself, he said, and I can't tell you how ashamed I am of what I said and what I thought. He said, so just remember that some of these people are very young and some of them will grow up. And that thought gave me some comfort. But you know, we don't have time to wait for all of them to grow up. And so, what is different between now and the last time I was here? In some ways, nothing is different. It's just more obvious. We had to struggle then, too. The ideology existed then, too. And it was dangerous then, too. But one thing we're not allowed to do is to despair. We can't despair. Rabbi Nachman of Bratislav told us a long time ago, there's no such thing as despair. You're allowed to be upset. You're allowed to be hurt, but you cannot despair. And even in the Torah this morning, it tells us you can't despair. Because this morning in the Torah, Jacob lies and steals the birthright, and Esau wants to kill him. And we understand it. We understand the hostility and the anger of the enemy of Jacob. But you know what happens in the end? They reconcile. Isaac and Ishmael, Jacob and Esau... Joseph and his brothers. It takes a long time and a lot of pain, and a lot of blood has been and will be shed. But this is the fight that we're here for. And it's hard to be a Jew. So please understand that it's still true that the majority of students, even at Harvard, just want to get their degree and go work at Goldman Sachs. <laughs> I think I'm kidding, but I'm not, and live their lives, and that most people are not involved in this ideological struggle, but enough are that we have to make sure it doesn't spread and raise our voices and encourage our friends and support our fighters and our people and let the world know that we are watching. And so far, I wanna say, I think the Jewish people have stood up in a powerful, An impassioned and beautiful way as Tuesday was an example of. And as you know, we had a member of Sinai Temple who spoke at that rally, and we should be very proud. But this is going to go on for a long time. And not only can we not despair, we are not allowed to get tired, and we're not allowed to falter, and we're not allowed to give up. So I come with a a message of hope, but also an acknowledgement that this is what was called a long time ago about the struggle against communism, the long twilight struggle. We are in a long twilight struggle. But we have won before. That's why we're still here and we will win again. I truly believe that. And one day Jacob and Esau and Isaac and Ishmael and Joseph and his brothers will all be reconciled, but until they are, stay strong, stay true, have faith. Shabbat Shalom.